Hi, I'm Anna Rosa Parker. And I'm Daniel Lamb, and this is Artist Inclusive, the podcast for ambitious artists who want to find clarity, community, and creative success. Hey, Anna, I am really excited to talk about our fourth and final installment of this series, and who better than to round this out than a well-accomplished producer, casting director, voice actor, and whiskey aficionado, Andy Roth. This was a really great conversation, and I'm just really excited to put this one out there. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I need a green apple right now. Well, we'll get into that later, but I'm very excited to to share this interview with Andy. He's he's a, He's very smooth, and he has a lot to offer for anybody interested or curious about voiceover acting and casting. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the Artist Inclusive Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. We have a few questions for you. I want you to tell people what you do, but I also want to kind of ask you how you started in in the, the voiceover business, like what your story is. Kind of give us the mid-movie montage version. Sure, sure. Well, I'm a casting director that specializes in voiceover. I do cast on camera as well. But voiceover is really the bulk of my business. It's 90 to 95% of my work, depending on the year. And actually with the pandemic, it's been 100% of my work this past year. I've been doing it for 26 years. I started in 94. I was an assistant at a talent agency. And actually, when I started, I didn't even know. I, I knew what voiceover was. I knew about cartoons. I obviously heard things on commercials. The big booming announcer voices are what people would always think of first. But I never knew that it was its own thing. I just never really thought about it. And I ended up getting a job as an assistant in the voiceover department of a talent agency, which was called CED at the time, but now it's called CESD. They are one of the biggest in the country for voiceover. Was an assistant there for many years that I became their in-house booth director. And until 2007, ran or oversaw pretty much every audition that came out of that office. Then 2007, I broke off. I started my own business. And since then, I work directly with a lot of my own clients, but I also work with most of the major casting houses in the city for voiceover things. I cover the casting for a lot of audio post-production houses that don't normally do a lot of casting, but sometimes they have a regular client that doesn't want to go out and find a casting director. And so the studio will call me or somebody like me but preferably me. I also do a lot of the United States casting for some Canadian companies when they need uh, United States talent. I'm also a voice director. I have an episode of a show called Dogs that just dropped on Netflix, an episode called The Protectors that I'm really, really proud of. But I also direct a lot of animation, a lot of animated projects, a lot of live action dubs. Between casting and directing, I've worked for companies like Discovery Kids, Netflix, Funimation, probably more commercials than any human being should ever be exposed to in their lifetime. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you start to cast and what's the bridge over to then directing from casting? How did that happen? Well, voice directing is a little different than directing. Like yeah. directors cover everything, the visuals. They even have a say in the, the voice direction final approval, but they're actually very similar as a casting director. You have a very short period of time to get a read that out of an actor. And that doesn't mean actors don't, by default, out of the gate, bring great stuff to things. But as a casting director, 
with the actor for the client. My job is to make sure that the actor manifests fully as themselves, that their personality comes through, their quirks, their sense of humor, their warmth, their seriousness, whatever it is I need, and is presented in a context of what my client will be receptive to. They call me because they're looking for a thing. And I have a very short period of time to do it. It really lends itself well, because especially in dubbing work, but even in prelay, you have such a limited amount of time. People are being paid by the hour. Depending on which coast you are, it's usually a one-hour minimum or a two-hour minimum. And you've got a lot of work you have to get done. You have a set amount of cues you have to get finished. You have a set amount of scripts that you have to get finished. So it does really lend itself to that kind of thinking. You have to immediately or as quickly as possible be able to link with the actor in a way where the two of you have a very clear line of communication where the actor is free with their creativity but also delivering what you need to end up with. So the two of them are actually very naturally linked. And it's not like one is a promotion from the other. They are two separate jobs, and I still enjoy doing both of them very, very much. Is the the voice directing, is there more creativity in that, do you feel like? Or how much sort of artistic license do you have there? It's a different creativity. More of some things, less of other things. With casting... We're not often going to any sort of a visual that's going to match up. So there is a certain freedom and you're not as worried about time. You're not as worried about matching an exact facial expression or an exact body motion. You can get more of the freedom in that way, more play with ideas. But in animation, it's a different kind of creativity. More people are working directly together. In casting, I'm going to be auditioning an actor probably on their own, possibly in pairs or in groups, but we're not going to have a whole cast together delivering a final product. So there's a little more leeway with play. In an actual directing, voice directing job, there's less leeway. If it's a dub, I have to make sure that what the actor does is matching the facial expression, is giving the read. If somebody is sitting in a chair and they're having trouble getting out of it while they're delivering a line, I have to make sure that not only does the mouth match the flap that's happening on camera? But I have to make sure it also sounds like they're tr struggling to get out of a chair, which brings its own creativity. And seeing, I know so many performers that are just so brilliant at it. And it's so exciting to see somebody doing what they do, doing it well. And I get to be sort of like nudging it a little bit here and there, often not having to do anything, sometimes having to do a lot. But like nudge it, come up with ideas. It gives me the freedom to think about what I want to do with it, what I want to go further with, possibly even the mix later that I will be listening to and approving in most cases. So it gives me that kind of freedom. It gives me freedom to enjoy what the actor brings by default, their skills, their nuances, their quirks, their personalities, and nudge it to accent that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. When need be. Yeah. It's a very... It's a very intimate connection, and I mean that in a totally appropriate, non-threatening way. It really is. I mean, you're in each other's heads. The two, it really has to be a hive mind situation. You have an engineer who's making sure that everything is sounding great, that everybody's on mic. If it's a dub, they're the ones who are going to make sure that the timing, especially if it's a remote recording, which so much is happening now, they're doing that. They're catching nuances. If there's an extra mouth flap, they call it lip flap. If there's an extra flap, they're the ones who are going to notice that. So that's their creativity. 
with me, it's making sure that it matches. It's bringing the nuances with the actor. It's being free to bring themselves within the tight confines of what's needed. And it really is a really intense hive mind that it takes to make a show. And you have very little time to do it. And I just, I love that. It's just, it's just such an intense connection of people working together and you get close with people really fast. It also lets you know who's great at a job. So you can think of them more, you know, I mean, ultimately the, the end goal is for me to make my job as easy as possible and the end product as good as possible. And knowing the people that accent that is a big help. And I just, I love that about the business. Casting is the same, a little bit of a different element to it, but yeah. They show up and it will show us up and how they show up and they're persistent and hardworking. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I, I can see, I can see kind of the intimacy of it. Like it's an intimate performance in a way. You see, almost like a loungy sort of vibe in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. It totally is. And and you get very connected to another person. It's nice, especially these days when it's so hard to even see another human being. Yeah, totally. It would also stand to reason to assume, like you mentioned earlier, that people call you and they, they're looking for something very specific. Having those relationships with different types of voice actors, you probably have like a go-to Rolodex or matrix of like, I know this kind of person can do this kind of thing. You're able to make those connections really fast and like find the best fit. Yeah, you really do. I mean, there's this thing that I hear in a lot of training and I can appreciate the phraseology of it. It's not entirely true. The casting directors want you to be the solution to their problem. I mean, the truth is I don't have a problem. Yeah. In most cases, <laughs> if I need to find okay. something really unique, like a very a, a language that's very hard to find here or something like that, okay, like it's Icelandic, a little bit of a problem. You know. yeah, 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 right, which is one of the most difficult <laughs> languages ever. But I do have resources I can go to to find those people. That's what people hire me because it's not a problem for me. I do have a core group of people that I know are great at certain things, whether it's union, non-union, language skills, voice types, whether it comes down to genetics and voiceover being the quality of your voice, which is a genetic quality, your personality. I have that, which is the core. You can't limit it to that. First of all, people are always changing. People are not always available. People are not always at the same price point. Sometimes if somebody's booked something, they're not going to be able to book something else. So You've got to constantly be reaching out to other people. You've got your core, but then you always want to expand it and grow. And that sounds so optimistic to people that want to pursue this. And and I'm even thinking, well, side note, I would love to see your notes next to the names. Like, <laughs> why do you actually write down? But like, what does it even take to begin? Like if an actor, let's say tired of pursuing theater and the hustle and just wants to go all in on voice acting. What do you, how do you do that? Well, I will say this. If you're pursuing voice acting because you're tired of theater, you're probably going to get tired of voice acting too. If it's something that just doesn't hold, and I'm not talking about taking a hiatus or saying, I really need a vacation. I'm not doing anything for a month. I and mean, we all need that sometimes. But voiceover I find is everything that's great about acting without everything that's difficult about acting. There's no scratchy costumes. There's no getting on set at four in the morning to start work at four in the afternoon. You'll always be in a nice climate controlled environment. You can do four jobs in a day as opposed to one job in four days. On an hourly rate, it often tends to pay more by and large. So there's a lot of really, really great things about it. But at its core, it is acting. I don't, if somebody doesn't want to do theater anymore, then by all means stop doing theater. I mean, there's no, reason to do this if you don't want to do it. But voiceover isn't going to be your savior. Voiceover is something a lot of people do in addition. 
in animation, a lot of the people doing a lot of the animated stuff are staged. I did one show where I had somebody who was in Hamilton and we had a schedule around the Hamilton schedule for him to come in and play the part. The two work really well together. I know some big Broadway stars that will come and they'll record a commercial in between the matinee and the evening performance. And they'll audition from home or sometimes even between performances or before an evening performance, they'll come in, they'll audition. So it works really, really well. I did one time work with somebody who came in and they loved voiceover, which I totally get it. I also love voiceover. And they went back and they told their agent, I don't, I want to do less stage work. I want to focus more on my voiceover. And I was like, are you crazy? If you're getting stage work and you're enjoying it, keep, don't give up what's working to move over to something you want to try. And since voiceover works so well with it, and then you might not book a voiceover for a long period of time. And it's great having that stage. Yeah. But that's really all attractive to me. You know what the, the benefits of it, like there's no waiting time and you can just show up and you can schedule it together. It doesn't need an entire cast and crew to be at the same place at the same time. Right. Yeah. Certain benefits to it, lifestyle benefits to it, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, it's a great lifestyle. And with technology, you could be in Iowa and record a spot in New York. It's interesting that when the, it's really interesting to me that when the pandemic closed everything else down, it opened voiceover up. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Like how, how, how that happened. What, what has changed and when what's going to stay? Well, voiceover is a very sticky business. It doesn't always, it's not always quick to change its methods, but it's even slower to change them back. So the pandemic, there was a thing called Source Connect that's been out there for a long time, but it was mostly used like when people were going in person and people were to auditions and people were showing up to studios in person. Source Connect was mostly used for people who had to record remotely, a lot of promo people that were doing promotional promos for affiliates in other states, and they would record from home. And then when the pandemic hit and everything shut down, Source Connect exploded. It's like everybody had it. Everybody upgraded their studio. Everybody was recording from home. And for maybe a month in the beginning, people were okay with quality not being as great. But then after about a month, when people who were working started getting stuff that sounded better and upping their game, it became the norm. It became the standard. And now people are used to it. People are definitely going to go back into the studio to audition. That's already starting to happen. People are going to go definitely back to the studio to record jobs. That's already starting to happen. But the technology, the remote recording, I mean, that's here to stay. One performer who I, I love them to death and they're so brilliant and they're so talented and they work so much. And when I called them to ask them to audition for a project that I was working on and I let people know this is going to be in the studio, it's going to be in the studio record, they had to turn down the audition because they had three other shows that were all recording remotely. And they were like, I don't know that I'm going to have the time to take an entire day off to go into the city, go to a studio to record one show when I have three other shows recording from home. So yeah, it's going to, things are going to open up. People are going to go back to studios, but this is, this is here, which is great. It's expanded reach. It's offered a lot of opportunities to people who didn't have them. Otherwise I've, always worked with LA agents. I'm based in New York. I've always worked with LA agents, but I'm working with LA people more than ever because so much more is up. Yeah. So it really did that. And a lot of other people focused on voiceover because there was no on camera. There was no stage. 
There's still no stage. Yeah, it brought a lot of attention to the industry. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And then in the pandemic, there's the Black Lives Matter movement and things have changed. You know, the world wants to be more inclusive. And are you seeing that in, in casting already or? More inclusive in, in what sense? It, it, racially. Oh, yeah. Well, it is inclusion and diversity. It is a big thing. And yes, we have to take into all of that into account. It is. I will say voiceover. One of the things I love about voiceover is in a lot of places, it tends to be the first because I mean, I don't want to say it's only a voice, but it is only a voice. So the term when I was doing this back at the agency was colorblind, which means we don't care to send us anybody who's right for the job. I mean, obviously, if we're looking for a deep voice, don't send us a high squeaky person, but we don't care who they are. We don't care the other stuff as long as they genetically match, you know, the components. So we have been open to that for a long time. Not always, not a hundred percent, but it really has stepped up. People are putting a lot more effort and a lot more concentration into making things open up more, widening the opportunities. In localization, in dubbing, in animation, it can be a tricky thing because there are certain things where we definitely want to take everything into account. There are other times when we don't need to as much, if that makes sense. Localization is about making it local. So if there's a cultural aspect, that definitely gets respected. But if we get a show in from Japan, do we have to hire an all Japanese cast for it? Not necessarily. If it's something very, very specific about a culture, then yes, that will be taken into account. But if the actors that we see in the show were the actors there, then we really just have to be concerned with getting the best people for it because it's localization. And here in the United States, local is everybody. So you read everybody, but you don't necessarily have to be as specific as that person looks like this or is of this descent in the live action show, but that was really just an actor they hired. There's no cultural significance for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I couldn't have even imagined the answer, but it, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what I said to somebody, because we, we had a whole discussion about this, was the way that I looked at it is, and this may or may not be a popular answer, I don't know, but if the show had been shot here and it was, it just ended up being a Caucasian cast and went to another country for dubbing, would you insist that they hire Caucasian actors, American Caucasian actors to do it? Or would you be okay with their local hires? Like, were you going for an ethnic statement, which sometimes it is, you know, there are some subjects that really require that. There are other subjects where that's who's there. That was who auditioned. That was who you cast because that's who you felt was best for it. And it represented the community there. Well, that's going to change in another place. So if this is going and being dubbed into Japanese, do I insist that they only use white people because the cast was white people? And if the answer was no, then that's sort of the thinking here. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. No. Now here as certain ethnicities and not even all, but certain ethnicities are a part of our culture. So taking it that into account here, if something strikes you as needing that diversity in the script, you have to look for that diversity because that's part of our culture and it is localization and it is making it local. Yeah, when you say localization, and that makes sense. And I mean, New York City is just very diverse. And, and you, one would hope that you would be casting a very diverse anytime 
all the time, right? But you do what's right for the show. You do what's right for the show. And part of what's right for the show, and a lot of people lose this, part of what's right for the show is the audience, the cultural relevance, how it's going to be received by the audience. And you have to take that into account. And, and ethics in certain areas, ethics are a very, very big part of our culture. In other areas, ethics are not that big a part of our culture and probably should be more so. But oh yeah, and it's not uh, it's not always just it's racially either. It's LGBTQ. It's, you know, it's a lot. You really have to take into account of what's important and culturally relevant at the time. It's not even necessarily a question of right and wrong ethnically, although I like to think we're going toward what is right in my personal ethical opinion, but not everybody shares the same opinion. So you have to do what's going to serve the show best in all aspects. Right. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about, like Daniel and I were talking about this the other day, the entertainment industry, you know, I also heard it, I think I heard Larry Wilmore say this on his podcast that, you know, in the entertainment industry, a lot of people go into it because they want something. They want fame, they want recognition, they want X, Y, and C, they don't want to make it, whatever. And he was saying, you know, if you turn it around and go in there to give something, how that changes your perspective, how you pursue and 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 how you show up, really. Well, I will say this. I mean, whether it's acting or being an astronaut, it, you shouldn't get into any business unless you at least think you're going to like it, or at least it, it's going to change any business, whether it's acting, driving a truck or surgery. It's going to change when you're in it because you're going to get more information. And even if you love your job, you're not going to love it every day. Like even if you're starring in a movie, there are going to be days you're going to be on set that are not about you. I was just watching Loki on Disney Channel, Disney Plus, and there are uh, like all of the Avengers are in it for like three seconds. Some of them, I'm sure they got back to shoot. And like this person is a star playing an iconic hero, but this is not their show. And they're in it to say five lines that when I saw Thor Ragnarok, I'm a big action movie fan. Matt Damon was in that for 10 seconds doing a cameo. And that's Matt Damon and the scene wasn't about him. There are going to be days, even when you love the job, that it's just not about you, that it may not be your favorite day. That's fine. It's not your job to love it all the time. It's your job to do it even when you don't love it. But stepping into it because of what you believe it is, what you hope it is, and what you want to accomplish is a perfectly valid reason to do it. But acting is a physics term. That means doing something that has an effect on something else. That is it. To be perfectly honest, it's nice if you're going in to give something, but I don't care. You're there to do a job, to do a thing in a way that it's going to affect somebody else. One of the things I was saying the other day is part of the reason why so many people in this business, actors, directors, casting directors, writers, producers, why so many of us have therapists, it's because nobody else cares how we feel. If you want somebody to care how you feel, you have to pay them for that. And of course, in school, a lot of your instructors will care how you feel because they're going for a different goal than a final product that somebody wants to make money with. And you're paying them. I mean, they are invested in focusing more on that. And that's as it should be. I need somebody who's going to come in, do the job they need to do, be clear and engage in the relationship such as it is between me and them and the engineer and anybody else who's in the room, do the job and leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And it makes sense when you say like, it's not really also always about you and it's not about you. And I just remember, you know, when I was still acting in the first indie film I did and I'm in a scene and it's a car scene and, and I'm just so, you know, I want to really deliver. And nobody came to me to say that I did a good job or not. And it was just <laughs> cool. like, felt so alone. It was just interesting because it was a crowded room and, you know, a set. And I was like all alone, like so lost. I had no idea where I was going. I'm glad you said that because actually there is a reason for that. Somebody hired you because they felt like you would do a great job. Just like any other profession. If I have the plumber over to fix something, well, obviously if I've called them, it's because I can't fix it myself. So if I've called the plumber over and she fixes it, I'll say thank you because I'm looking at her, but I'm not going to call later and make her feel like a better human being. I called her because I assumed she'd do a great job because she was recommended to me or past history or said she'll do a great job. So when you do a great job, that's just your job. People, you get paid for that. People will think of you next time. I mean, yes, it's nice to hear you did great and people do say that, but we don't have to. It's not a thing. But what you can know is if you didn't do a good job, that you will hear about. Amen. So we'll hear about it. We assume that you're awesome. And so if you're awesome, we're not really taken aback or surprised by it because you did your job. So, and it does feel like you're alone. This is also an interesting dynamic. And I have this conversation with a lot of people. People say there's a lot of rejection in the acting world. In my experience, there's almost none. There's a lot of not getting a job, but that is not rejection. Rejection is an active choice that somebody makes to deliberately refuse you something. And it just doesn't, I mean, I bid out jobs I don't get. I get calls for things that don't come through. I was up for a directing job and the network went with somebody else. I don't get jobs. Writers don't get jobs. Even producers don't get jobs. Actors are the only ones that I ever hear call it rejection. rejection. Yeah. No, that's really good because, I mean, I used to use that too. It's so much rejection. Isn't it because it's so personal like it's your body it's your whole being that you're putting out there and it doesn't get to go on the door it feel rejected versus submitting writing they take it or not but it's that way for everybody i mean you walk into a room as an actor you're standing in front of five people you don't know how many people wanted to be in that room that weren't in that room at that table you don't know there are even people who write scripts that get rewritten that they fire right. Jaws, the original director for that was an A-lister and an Oscar winner who was fired in pre-production because he kept referring to the shark as a whale. He lost the job and <laughs> they and they got this young hotshot kid, Steven Spielberg, because they still had to pay this other director and he was like the best they could afford at the time. But he wasn't the Steven Spielberg we know now. He wasn't the celebrity. That wasn't rejection. That was things change. You don't know who's not there. There is this idea sometimes that you walk into a room and the five people that are at the table were the only five people that were ever discussed, that were ever talked about, that were ever chosen. There are gaffers that don't get the job. There are key grips, best boys for any number of reasons. Again, actors are, the rest of us call it, well, that sucks. But (laughs) actors are the only ones who call it rejection. Rejection. Really, really not. And it feels like you're alone. And part of it is because we're taught that. We're taught to invest that. But I I work from home. I send out a breakdown. I get submissions and I listen to them. If I'm directing somebody over Zoom or something like that, I'm sort of with somebody there as much as they're with me. I'm with them for the amount of time that they are with me. And then I'm alone. 
I bid out a job. I don't hear I'm I've been waiting to hear on a job for about a month now. It may come through, it may not come through, maybe it's already happening and they hired somebody else. They're not gonna call to tell me that. And I can follow up and do certain things. But actors are not more alone than anybody else. As a matter of fact, I would honestly say that from what I've seen, the community of actors that have each other is more vast than the community of directors that have each other, casting directors that have each other, writers that have each other. It just feels alone because you feel more invested in it. And everyone's an artist. I mean, you go into Starbucks, you don't know how many people didn't get the job at Starbucks. Yeah, I think there's just more with some with some practices, there's more like embodied distance between the person and the work. And as an actor, there's zero embodied distance. But say you're a, a sculptor, there's you and then there's the thing over there or you're a musician, there's you, then there's the recording. So I think from a mindset perspective, it's like our our challenge, regardless of our you know role to play to basically embrace that aloneness, do the work, get out of the way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it is the same thing for a lot of other people too. I mean, for the people that are going to be doing the audio mix and the editing, they're completely separated from it until they have stuff to do their job with. So for a long period of time, there's something happening that they're separated from. As a voice director, one of the great things about animation is it's fun. You get to tell people to beat people up and fly. And, you know, there's certain noises you make in animation that you just don't make in other. I mean, a, a, a gasp can mean so many things in animation. That's very, very different than another thing. So that's really fun. But then it's done. And then I can't talk about it possibly for about three years or more than that, because I can't talk about it until it's sold. I can't talk about it until it's out there. And maybe I'm involved for a little bit longer than the actors are because there is a mix I have to listen to and some things like that, but not that much longer. Yeah. So we're all separated from it. Any work of art is ultimately, in a business sense, the product of somebody putting money into something to ultimately get more money out of. A sculptor buys clay, put money into it to come up with something that they can get more money or some emotional satisfaction out of. But I mean, let's be honest, everybody wants money. And it's and we're all in it together. This ladder has two rungs. There's the person with the checkbook at the top and everybody else on the next rung down with their authority. So we all have the same experience. Yeah, it's just not together. I mean, it, that's why, you know, theater is so different. It's the stories told from the beginning and through to the end. And you're all together in that, creating that in that one space. And then we've talked about on this podcast too. I remember like doing a play and when it's over, like, because you think those people are going to be like in your life for the rest of your life and it gets so close and so tight and your best friends and family. And then you might never hear from them again after you close mm -hmm. the show. And it's always the, I know we always say it, but let's stay in touch. Let's really do it this time. And every, everyone means it. Everyone then means it at the time. Show. Yeah. Then you have yeah. own family. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, going through a breakup and let's stay friends and you decide to stay friends. But as soon as you're in the next relationship that you're probably not going to be friends. It is that emotional connection. But honestly, even in theater, you get people that will go on vacation or get sick and suddenly there's a new person you've never worked with playing that role. So even with that, there's... You're saying we're all replaceable in a way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Quick story. <laughs> I fired me on a voiceover job. <laughs> what? Just, just to show the replaceable thing. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, there was, you fired There me. was, a, as a director, once in a while, 
if there's if there's like a line or something like that that didn't get recorded, sometimes you'll just do it yourself. You'll just like and I remember there was one line this one character had in one show. He was like Villager Three or something like that. I, I noticed that I had missed it. So I just went in the booth and I recorded, What is this? And that was it. I mean, that was that was my big animation debut. And then about six shows later, this guy comes back and he's got like entire scenes. And I'm like, I don't think I can maintain I can maintain that voice for three words, but I don't think I could maintain that voice for an entire episode. I don't think that I have the time or necessarily the skills to execute this role for an entire so I reached out to another actor that I knew could do that voice, at least close enough that nobody's going to compare it to the three words I said. So, But technically, that character was me. And I mean, I fired me. That's how replaceable everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. I just thought about it because I'm one of my pet peeves is mouth sounds. I hate like like all these different sounds. And as a voice director, there must be something that just drives you nuts drives the engineer more than me because they're ultimately the ones that are going to have to deal with it. But I mean, it is a reality of being human. We are flawed machines and stuff like that's going to come up. Hiccups are going to come up. People are going to burp, things like that. Mouth noise, there are ways to deal with it. It, it is an endurance game, especially if you have a major role. You're going to be recording for four hours, possibly. And yeah, your mouth's going to be dry. You are going to get mouth noise. It starts, I don't want to say that it bothers me. Like I'm not going to not like a person because they are experiencing a human failing, you know, but it does sometimes get to a point where I'm like, okay, you need to eat an apple, get a green apple, take a bite. You don't even have to swallow it. Just chew it. That really helps with mouth noise. There are things that help clean it up after the fact, if we really need, if we're really stuck, prefer not to use those, but you know, they're there if we need them. Always have water a sealed bottle of water in the booth because you don't want to spill it on anything. And if you're recording from home, you can do whatever you want. It's your equipment. Yeah, you can have but, your whiskey. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can have your whiskey, except probably not until we're done. You can have the bottle there, but do not open it until, until, you're done. <laughs> until we're the martini. Yeah, shot. yeah, yeah. And, you know, I will say mouth noise. Uh, there are times when I advise anybody who's going into a long session or a long day of sessions, have green apples. Yeah, green readily apples. available. Good to know. Yeah, I've never heard yeah, that. Green apples help. Water, yeah, a big thing. Water, have it handy. Yeah, we were wondering, like right now, just in your life, what really fascinates you? Whiskey. Whiskey. Are we talking specifically about this business, <laughs> or are we talking just like physics? Anything. Physics. Anything physics in your life? Yeah. Me. Physics fascinates me, particularly quantum mechanics. Fascinates me. Whiskey, the creation of it, the artistry behind it fascinates me. Really, the making of all spirits. I don't really drink that much, but I am fascinated by the creation of it. If you're talking about this business specifically, what fascinates me specifically about voiceover is what I said before about voiceover is slow to change, but even slower to change back. That's in certain very specific areas. That's like the recording at home thing and the stuff like that. that People change reluctantly. What I do love about voiceover and what always fascinates me is it's always the first. Whenever something new comes up, voiceover was the first. Somebody's like search engine on a phone. Let's give it a voice. We're going to have somebody loosen technologies is going to have somebody wear a collar around their neck and record everything they say for months. And then Apple's going to buy it when loosen goes under, but let's give it a voice. AI, as much as I have very mixed feelings about it, 
they're using it for voice creation right now. Any kind of warning system, phone messages, hologram technologies. Now I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the Oculus and the virtual reality. Voiceover is there. Augmented reality voiceover is there. Hologram technology voiceover is there. Voiceover is always the first thing where there's a new technology. And that's, that fascinates me. Theater, as much as I love theater, it's always the last. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. The last thing there. And what, you know, I meant to, because I actually attended one of your classes, your workshops as a, yeah. Do you still teach? I do. I do. I do teach. I've actually been teaching on Zoom a lot lately, although I am excited to start going back into a classroom. Yeah, I get that. Hopefully, yeah. If people want to get into voiceover, they can attend your classes, they can find you, they can study with you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. And I, I just, I do uh like want to be clear that there's nobody, or at least there shouldn't be, Anybody who by taking their class can guarantee work. I, I would say if anybody says, come take my class and I guarantee you work, don't take the class. There's something shady going on. If somebody says, I guarantee you won't get work, don't take that class either. Cause what's the point? But it's really, it's about being in it. It's about connecting with another human being in this business. It's not who you know. It's who knows you and every chance for somebody in the industry or somebody that will be in the industry or could be in the industry that knows you better, the more people you know, the more likely you are to move forward. And classes are a great place to do that. You're in it together in a class. I mean, I know sometimes it seems daunting. You're getting up in a microphone or in front of a camera and you're in front of 15 other people and you feel awkward, but there's really nothing on the line. Like there's no final product. There's no commercial that's not going to happen. There's no animated series. There's no video game that you're screwing up. There's just you in front of people and getting direction, getting used to how other people think. Somebody who takes my class will know how I think with what I look for taking another casting director's class. And there are some brilliant ones out there. You'll get to know how they think. So when you're in the room with them, you don't know what's coming down the line. So I just, I do want to put out there that taking class with me, I guarantee it will be fun. I guarantee, I guarantee you'll leave knowing more than you came in with, but that's all I can, that, that's all anybody can guarantee from a class. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that being said, yes, I do teach. Yeah. And you're very, very good at it. And uh, thank you. Yeah. And speaking of the work, just as we wrap up, can you tell us just like a little bit about the, the shows that you just wrapped that you're so proud of dogs and, uh, and yeah. Well, a couple of them I actually can't talk about because they have not dropped yet. But right now I can't. I just wrapped one of the weirdest, most amazing projects I've ever worked on. That was, it was like multiple genres and things like that. And it was really great. I look forward to being able to announce that. I voice directed and cast an episode of the Netflix series Dogs. The episode is The Protectors, which I'm really excited about. I have a documentary which I was one of the producers on called The Animal People that I started many, many, many years ago as a uh, bright-eyed young person who assumed that doing a documentary is easy if you're passionate. It's actually probably harder if you're passionate. And it went through, it. this thing became so huge. And fortunately, other people stepped in and ultimately Miko Alon and Ari Solomon and Georgia Fox and Joaquin Phoenix came in with money and, and input and creativity and made this happen. So it's called The Animal People. It is on iTunes. We actually, we hit the top 10 on iTunes. So I was really proud of that. 
a couple of series, The Peculiar Adventures of Willoughby Star, I'm very, very proud of. That's a pilot that's out there. And Enchanted Time, the Delicious Adventure series, which also has a book series with it that I illustrated. Very excited about that. So there are some there are some great projects out there. There's things I'm excited about. We'll make sure to list all this in the show notes and people be can great. find your work. They can connect Thank with you. you on Instagram or Twitter. We'll list all that Thank in you. the show notes. We have to wrap up here, Daniel, and I have a workshop to teach in like two minutes about branding <laughs> and website yeah. building. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. I love that. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. This is fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is a total blast. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for being part of our community. It's just so nice to know that you're there. And this podcast is part of that, the whole artist inclusive little world. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I had a blast and you two are great. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. So that was a really great interview. I got a lot out of listening to Andy and speaking with him. He really, well, first of all, he really knows his SHIT, but at the same time, it was really great to hear him just share his wealth of experience. I, I feel like I got a masterclass on voiceover. I learned a lot about about how to uh, take care of your face during the process. What were some of the things that stuck out to you in that interview? Yeah, other than the green apple, which I feel like I need right now. But I just, I don't know, he's just so smooth. And it was really fun to have him on. I asked him about diversity and inclusion in casting, voice casting. And he talked about what they focus on is localization. So it's, you know, they cast local, but what serves the show to project localization. And I thought it was just an interesting take on it. I didn't expect it. And it was very insightful. Totally. And I think for me, like the other thing that kind of stuck out was this idea of being adaptable. You know how he talked about how the voiceover sector is, is, is often the early adopter of technology and how when in-person shoots kind of went away at the beginning of COVID, they were at the ready with digital recording options and acting on Zoom and, you know, all of these things that now are taking for granted. But at the moment, this was an innovation and they were there for it. Yeah, 100%. And also, you know, getting back to he's already back in the studio or, you know, he's bringing people back in the studio. And then, yeah, he, and then he teaches. He's talked about that for a minute because I took his class, you know, years ago. He was a great teacher and he's very fun. He did promise that. He did promise he would get cast if he took his class, but he promised that it's going to be fun. And it is really fun to study with Andy. He so knows what he's doing. He's been in this business for a while. I didn't even know that he's also directing. He's voice directing for Netflix and, you know, all kinds of streamers. Yeah. And, and definitely if you, if you get a chance to go check out dogs on Netflix, the episode is called the protectors and it's really fantastic. You know, it starts out in Portuguese of all things and it's just really beautifully done. Yeah. But listening to this episode, you will get a clear picture of what voiceover acting is all about. And professionalism in the space as well. That too. That helps. Always helps to be professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go and have a green apple before we next take uh, record anymore. I think I'll also have a green apple, but don't mix it with <laughs> wine, right? That's the big thing. Don't mix your apples in your don't. wine. Don't. 
Don't. You can have it there. Or the cognac. Is it cognac? I thought it was whiskey. It's good for whiskey and bad for wine. That's right. The Artist Inclusive Podcast is brought to you by the Artist Inclusive Facebook group and artistinclusive.com. Learn more about Artist Inclusive at our website or join our free Facebook group. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and share this message with somebody that you think would enjoy this podcast. This is how you're able to reach more engaged and impactful artists just like you.